0: Welcome to the Queen City Church podcast. We're so excited that you decided to join us and we wanted to personally welcome you. Thank you so much for listening in today. Our goal is that this message will encourage you and give you practical steps for a relationship with God that keep getting better and better. Enjoy the message. Good morning, church. Maverick, you heard our pastor. You stay in there until service is over. We don't need no emergencies. Uh, man, it is, it is such an honor to be here with you today. Before we jump in and dive in, I do want to take just a second and, uh, and honor uh, both Pastor Brian and Ms. Miss, Miss Heather, a.k.a. the First Lady. Uh, I was thinking about it, and I have now uh, got to know you guys for, for all, like right at four years. Uh, and it has been such an incredible uh, journey. They have um, walked with me through some very challenging times, uh, but also some very fun times and exciting times. And I was thinking about what stuck out, uh, stood out to me in those seasons, because uh, those are very differing seasons, right? Uh, but what stood out is that they always did it with grace and with love and believing in me and pushing me forward every uh, step of the way. And there is no doubt that... Uh, The man I am today, um, the leader I I get to be here in our church, the the husband that I am to my wife, and the soon-to-be father, there's no doubt that your leadership has made all that better. And so I'm just so thankful to have both you guys in my life. Uh, And what I think is important for you to know, I said this first service, but I want to make sure I say it again, is that who you see on Sunday, these two, uh, the way they lead and love and serve our church the, the people you see on Sunday, that's truly who they are. It's, it's not a show. They're the same on Sunday as they are during the week. And what you see them actually do on Sundays is just a small fraction of how they faithfully serve our church and how they love it and lead it so well. So church, why don't you do this? Put your hands together with me. Why don't we honor our, uh, Pastor Brian and Miss Heather? Love you guys. Love you guys. Uh, as Pastor Brian said, we are in week two of a series that we are calling 1 John. So why don't you go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. We're gonna look at some scripture there. While you're turning there, show of hands real quick. Let me ask you, how many of you, how many of you have ever wasted anything before? You ever wasted anything? Oh yeah, okay. Kindred spirits here, we're in a room. Okay, uh, you know, I was thinking about like, what, what do people waste? And um, so, some things came to mind, like one thing was, was gas, maybe you waste gas. Uh, I have a friend who... Whenever he was going to college, he was actually touring a college, the the campus, right, before he was going to college there. And while he was there, he actually left the keys in the car, and the car was still running. Kind of a waste of gas, right? Uh, I was thinking about uh, maybe coffee. Maybe you've wasted coffee before. Maybe you order coffee, and you're going to set it down on the table, and uh, you missed the table. Maybe, you know. Struggle a little bit, kind of clumsy, miss the table, and now you're, you're crying over a spilt latte. Uh, maybe you maybe you waste food. Uh, uh, you know, some of you still don't eat the crust on pizza, and I don't understand. I just I don't. It's like a breadstick. You just dip it in something and eat it. Um, you know, some of you are uh, maybe maybe you you've wasted time. Uh, if you want a good moment of just uh, self awareness, sometime this week. Go into your settings on your iPhone and look at the usage section and see how much time you have spent on social media. Uh huh. But don't be mad at me when you do. Okay. <laughs> Whenever I was getting ready for today, I was uh, I was thinking like, man, what do people waste time on? So I did a quick Google search, found a top ten list, and uh, one of the things on there said unused gym memberships, and I felt personally attacked. You know, <laughs> and you laughed way too hard at that. Um, but you know, so whenever I was a kid, I remember uh, my parents, they used to, they used to get so upset that I wasted electricity. Like, you know, I always left the lights on, you know, left the lights on. And, uh, you know, we we could be leaving the house at at, at night, be pulling out of the driveway. And it honestly, the house looks abandoned except for this one room on the corner. that's just like a beacon in the night. Uh, it's just my bedroom. And my dad would be like, son, why are the lights on? I don't know, Dad. I I just, I I don't know. I walk out the door, and there it is, you know? Um, And uh, he used to always say, one day you're going to pay for the electricity bill. You're going to have to pay for it yourself, and you're going to start turning those lights off. And so I was just, you know, as a kid, like, man, these electricity bills, they must be high, like $10,000 a day or something, you know? Um, But uh, now I can say proudly as a 30-year-old adult, uh, that I, I still leave the lights on. Uh, I still leave the lights on. And uh, now being married to my wife, I still get asked the same question, babe, why are these lights on? And I get the same answer. I don't know. I don't know. You know? <laughs> just, just a work in progress. What about this? Have, um, have you ever wasted your love before? You ever wasted your love? Are you wasting your love currently? Like, Is it even possible to waste your love? And uh, if you're taking notes uh, today, I want you to write down this message title, Wasted Love. Wasted Love. We're going to pick up in 1 John two fifteen, And this verse says this. It says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Now, I want to stop here for just a moment and address something that could seem like a contradiction in Scripture. You see, many scholars believe that the author here of 1 John 2.15, or I'm sorry, of 1 John, that it is one of Jesus' disciples named John. And they believe that he actually authored five different books: 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the Gospel of John, and the book of Revelation. And so here, John is saying, Hey, don't love the world. But yet in one of the most famous verses in the Bible, John 3:16, he says, For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world, and I think they have maybe a slide where we can see both of those scriptures together, where we see, hey, in one of these, it says, hey, don't love the world, but then in the other one, it says, for God so loved the world, and if you're anything like me, you may be wondering, John, what is going on, because those seem like opposite things. Like, the same guy inspired by the Holy Spirit writes 1 John 2.15, and the same guy inspired by the Holy Spirit writes John 3.16. Do you see the tension there? Because we know that the Bible is not supposed to contradict itself, right? But clearly something is going on here. Like John says, hey, God loves the world, but you don't love the world. If you love the world, then you don't love God. I'm like, well, then how do I win? You know, how do I win? Like, what do we do here? And when we dive into the text, what we actually see is that there are multiple definitions for the word world here that John is using. In fact, in John 3, 16, the definition for the word world, is mankind. So John is saying, hey, for God so loved us, for God so loved people, for God so loved mankind. In 1 John 2, 15, it's not talking about this. it's not talking about people. It's not even talking about the physical world. What John is talking about is this system. It is this way of thinking, this way of living that is actually opposed to God. It's opposed to God. And so that is why John says, hey, don't live that way. And this definition is actually kind of common when you think about it. Like the world, like, you know, somebody may, you may have heard someone say before, like the world of sports, right? Like someone doesn't get on a plane and travel to a different continent or planet to play sports. Like we understand that, right? You know, like the world of politics, the world of finances, the world of fashion, and so on and so on. We understand that that word can stand for like a system, right? Right. A way of living. And so, with that being said, that is the definition that John is using here. Now, John does something that makes mine and your life much easier. He actually defines what this world looks like. So, if we pick back up in 1 John 2.16, it says this. It says, for everything in the world, again, the system, this way of living that is opposed to God, catch this. He's about to define it. Everything in, this, in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, come not from the Father, but from the world. Those things are not from God, but from the world. This way of living that is opposed to God. And verse 17 goes on to say, the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So what John is saying is that if we love this world, again, not the people in the world, not the actual planet, not the world, but this way of living that is opposed to God, if we love that, then we are wasting our love. Or we're wasting our love. And he says that we can do that through those three ways, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So what in the world does that mean? Right? What does that mean? So as I was preparing uh, this week for, for uh, today, uh, I, I remembered this story in uh, John, uh, the gospel of John, John chapter four, again, written by the same person, the same author. Remember the story that I think is really gonna help us understand what John is saying here in 1 John uh, chapter two. So if you look, at, uh, look with me in John chapter four, uh, verse four, it's this, it's this story that is often referred to as uh, the Samaritan woman. And so verse four starts out, it says, he, he being Jesus, had to go through Samaria on the way. And verse six says, Jacob's well was there and Jesus tired from the long walk that he sat wearily beside the well. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. In verse nine, the woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with the Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? In verse 10, Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you were speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Verse 11, she says, but sir, You don't have a rope or a bucket, and the well that I'm looking at is very deep. Like, how in the world are you going to get this water, right? Verse 13, Jesus says, anyone who drinks this water, this water in the well that they're at, will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give, those who accept the gift of God that I give, those will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Verse 15, she says, please, he's got her attention, please give me this water so I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come here to get the water. Jesus goes on verse 16. He says, go and get your husband. And she responds, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband for you've had five and actually the man you live with now, you're not even married to. And he tells her, he said, you certainly spoke the truth. Now, I believe that the story of this woman today, that it is actually an invitation for you and I for us to, to learn something, for us to be able to walk out today different and better than when we walked in. So why don't we look at this story together? Let's break it down and see what we can get from it. Uh, now, if we think back to 1 John two sixteen, there are three ways that John mentions that we can waste our love. And the first that he mentions was the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh, which I've kind of defined as our passions, our passion. Now, the definition of passion, I would say, is a strong desire for something or someone. It's usually something that feels good, something that our body has a desire or appetite for. Now, please hear me when I say this. Passions are not bad. They're not. I am passionate about my wife. I love her incredibly much. We are both passionate about our son, who is going to be here at any moment but not right now. Right? I am passionate about Alabama football. Roll tie. Come on. Hey don't hate me. Hate Nick Saban, okay? Hate Nick Saban. I'm trying to be passionate about the Cincinnati Bengals and about Joe Burrow. If he wins us a Super Bowl, that'll help, you know? Who day? Passions are not bad. In fact, God created you and I with passions. He did but Satan takes those passions and he twists them into lust. You see, we're supposed to be passionate about God and about people, but Satan perverts that and twists that into lust for the wrong things and the wrong people. And that lust is what separates us from God. It prevents us from having a close relationship with God. And here in John four, verse 16, when Jesus says, when he says, hey, go and get your husband. And she responds, she says, I don't have one. He says, I know you, you've had five. In, in fact, the guy that you're actually living with now, I know that he's also not your husband. And He tells you, you spoke the truth. But from this verse, what we see is that this woman, this Samaritan woman, had a desire, a passion to love and to be loved. And that was not a bad thing. But what had happened over the course of her life was that passion and desire had been twisted and perverted by the enemy. That's what happened. So what's the answer here? How do we prevent that? How do we not waste our love by the lust of the flesh? And the answer is integrity. It's so living a life of integrity. Now, when you look at this word, the definition of it actually comes from the root word from at the beginning of the word. And the root of that is integer or integral. It's actually a math term, okay? You didn't know you were coming to church today to learn math, did you? It's a math term. It's a unit of one. It means to be whole. It means to be whole. So living a life of integrity doesn't mean to be perfect, doesn't mean you have to be perfect. It just means you have to not, be two, not live two separate lives. Living a life of integrity doesn't mean you have to be perfect. It means you just, I've decided I'm not going to live two separate lives. It's the person who's like, you know what? I know that I have struggles. I know I'm not perfect. I know I don't have it all together, no matter what people may think, but I'm not going to pretend like I do. I'm going to live a life where people get to see the real me. Where people get to help me walk through life together. I'm going to live a a life where I take the mask off. So we can say it like this. Integrity isn't about being perfect. It's about being whole. And that's why small groups are so important. We have summer small groups coming up in just a couple of weeks. And small groups are a place that provide the opportunity for us to live a life of integrity, where we can refuse to live life alone, where we can do life with other people, where we can meet people and find a community that we can trust and take the mask off and just say, hey, will you walk through life with me? Small groups are an incredible place to do that. And I want you to hear this. Every single person has struggles. Everyone in life, we all have struggles. We all face them the lie from the enemy is that you are alone in your struggle. And when we choose to believe that lie, we end up self-sabotaging our life. And then we start living a life of isolation and separation. And when that happens, it becomes a lot easier to believe the lies of the enemy and a lot harder to walk in the freedom and the truth that God has for us. And that is why we do small groups. That is why we live life together so we can get, uh, so we can live life with other people and take the mask off and live a life of integrity, living a life of being whole. So, church, let's go all in this summer. Let's don't waste our summer. Let's invest it in community and doing life with other people. Let's refuse to do life alone. Let's be a church that refuses to do life alone. Amen? Amen. The second way we see that uh, John says we can waste our love is actually through the lust of the eyes, the lust of the eyes, which Defined as our possessions, our possessions. You know, the, the whole, like, my stomach is bigger than my eyes dilemma. You know, like, I'm, I'm sure we've probably all been there at some point. And the danger in living this way is that we become convinced that possessions, the things we can see, that they can actually make us happy. It's where the main focus of our life becomes about what we can get, what we can gain. Like, if I could only have that type of relationship. If I could just get that promotion, if I could only win the lottery, if I could just live in a bigger house, if I could just have whatever, you fill in the blank. And here in John chapter four, verse 10, we see that when Jesus says, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, he says, you would ask me and I would give you living water. And she responds, says, but sir, you don't have the rope or bucket I don't understand how you can offer anything, really. In verse 13, Jesus says, anyone who drinks this water will become thirsty again. But anyone who receives what I have, the water that I offer, will experience eternal life. And in verse 15, she says, please, sir, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again and catch this. And I won't have to come to this well and get water. And from the end of that verse, that last verse, we see that this Samaritan woman That she is asking for what Jesus is offering, the living water, so she never has to come back to the well. Not so she can be fulfilled by him. What she is thinking is that the lie, she is believing the lie that if I could just have blank, then I'll be satisfied. But when Jesus was referring to, he says, hey, if you only knew the gift God had for you, he was not referring to a physical possession, but rather a personal relationship. A personal relationship. Church, make no mistake. The only thing that could ever satisfy the human soul is God is God. So what's the answer here? How do we not waste our love by the lust of our eyes? The answer is generosity. Every time we give, we break the grip of materialism in our lives. And there are so many different ways that we can be generous. Uh, I, I think probably one of the most common ways that we think of is like with our finances or our resources. But we can also be generous with our time and with our energy. And in fact, we actually have incredible opportunities right here in our church to do that. Uh, And I think one of the best ways, one of those best ways to do that is serving on Sundays, jumping on a team and serving on Sundays. Serving on Sundays. How do we do that? By going through the growth track. Noah actually talked about that this morning. He was explaining what growth track looks like and that today is step two. It's all about you and learning how God's created you. And here's why I believe that serving is so important. Because I truly believe serving makes our lives better. I do. In fact, my life has been impacted in ways I never would have imagined because I started serving. And here's why I believe that is. In Matthew 20, verse 28, it says this. It says, for even the son of man, that's Jesus, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. We see that Jesus's heart was to come not to be served, but to serve. And I think when we serve, we catch a glimpse of God's heart, and that changes our heart. That's why serving is important. And when we look at the end of this verse, it says, hey, when Jesus served, it was to give his life as a ransom for many. Many people received salvation. In other words, when Jesus served, lives were changed. And I believe it's the same for you and I. The same is true for you and I. When we serve, we open up the door of opportunity for lives to be changed. Like when we jump on a camera for the broadcast team right? And help people uh, see and view church at home, lives can be changed. When we jump on the kids team and help kids meet Jesus at their level, lives can be changed. When we jump on the growth track team and help people discover their purpose and connect them to teams within our church, lives can be changed. If we jump on the prayer team and pray for people throughout their week, literally our prayers can change lives. Guys, when we serve, lives are changed. And that's why serving is important. So let's be generous with our serving. And even more than that, this, I, I think it's important to know this, that when it comes to generosity, here's what's important. God doesn't just want to see you be generous. He wants to see you prioritize being generous. The Bible often refers to this as the tithe, the first 10%. That's why he asked for that. It's referred to as the tithe. And when we do that, when we give this tithe, when we prioritize generosity, what we are doing is we are prioritizing God in our lives. We're saying, hey, God, you're first. I prioritize you above every single thing, every area of my life. You're first. You're number one. And that way of living blesses God. In fact, look at Malachi 3.10. It says this. It says, bring all the tithes I love that it says all, that it doesn't just be like, hey, bring your money, tithe. You know, it says, no, bring all the tithes, all the tithes we can give. Bring them into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. And I know that some of you are probably thinking, I did not see any food in church this morning. <laughs> what are you talking about? You know, but where there is food, there's provision. Wouldn't you agree? So when we, church, when we bring into, the, into God's house the tithes and the things that God asks us for. In, in other words, there's provision for the church to be able to do what God has called it to do. There's provision for the church to be able to carry out the mission and the vision that God's given it. And that verse goes on to say, hey, when you do this, if you do this, God says, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I'll pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. And he says, try it. Yeah, try it. Test me in it. See if my word isn't true. When we prioritize generosity in our lives, when we bring the tithes that God has asked us, the Bible says that he will open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing in our lives. Now, I know when we hear that, that may may create some tension. Like, oh, Nat, so you're saying if I start tithing that my bank account is just magically going to grow? No, 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 no. What I am saying is that when we decide to live life God's way in every single area of our life, that there are positive consequences just like if we decide not to live life God's way, then there are negative consequences. And this applies to every single area of our life, our relationships, our marriage, parenting, time. Yes, finances, finances. I believe in this text, we see God inviting us to test this way of living, his way of living, because the result is a better and more abundant life. I believe God truly wants to bless us with a better and more abundant life, the positive consequences when we live life God's way. And God's ways are God's ways for a reason. Amen. So let's be people who live generously. And the last way we see that John mentions that we can waste our love is through the pride of life. And this one's all about our position. The first two were based off what we could get. This one's based off what we have. You know, the, the, the whole like, I'm better than so-and-so because of blank, you know, And we could fill that blank with honestly anything. Like uh, it could be the job we have, the the salary we make, the house we live in, uh, maybe what high school we graduated from, what side of the city we live on, maybe what side of the river we live on. Uh, It could be our last name. It could be the color of our skin. It could literally be anything. And when we hear and we think of pride, I think we often think it's this better than you mindset, this superiority. And it is. But there is also this sneaky version of pride that we don't often think about, and that's inferiority. And this type of pride rears its ugly head in the way of insecurity, the form of insecurity. In fact, church, insecurity is the root of all pride. And insecurity can look so many different ways in minding your life, so many different ways in our life. It could be us believing that other people's thoughts or opinions are more valuable than our own. It could be us becoming crippled and overwhelmed by thoughts like, what will he or she think? What if I'm wrong and someone finds out? I wonder what they're saying about me. It's a mindset where we believe we are less than others. We compare what we don't have with what others do have. And here in John chapter four, we see that this is the struggle that the Samaritan woman had. John four and seven says this, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, And Jesus said to her, hey, give me that, give me a drink. And the Bible says that she was surprised. She's like, wait a second, Jews and Samaritans don't get along. And she was surprised that Jesus would be speaking to her and asking her of something because she thought less of herself because of her ethnicity. And when we live life based on what we have or what we don't have, we will walk in either superiority or inferiority. The whole, like, oh, I'm better than so-and-so because of blank, or I'm less than so-and-so because of blank. And hear me when I say this, neither of those honor God. Why? Because a superior mindset makes the claim that someone else is not as valuable as God says they are. And an inferior mindset makes the claim that I'm not as valuable as God says I am, and neither of those honor God. Neither of those honor God. So what's the answer here? How do we not waste our love through the pride of life? And the answer is humility. It is living a life where we practice humility every single day. And I'm reminded of what Pastor Brian said in week two of our Stand Firm Love Well series that we recently just went through. And if if you didn't get to catch that, you can actually go check that out on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And it's actually on YouTube as well if you'd like to watch the service. But in week two, he said that humility is having an accurate view of who you are compared to who God is. Is that not good? Humility is having an accurate view of who you are compared to who God is. And the Bible says that when we do this, when we live a life of humility, that God actually gives us things in return. Look at what it says here in Matthew 23. It says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever has pride, they'll be humbled. But whoever humbles himself, whoever lives a life of humility, it says that God will exalt them. You see the benefit? God will exalt. James 4 says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Again, the benefit of living a life of humility. He gives grace. And then Proverbs three thirty four says, "Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The Bible. And this is just three of many verses of what a life of humility can bring for you. Why? Because I believe when looking at those verses, those three verses back to back, what I see is that God is drawn to humility, that a life of humility blesses God, that it is honoring and pleasing to him. So how do we overcome the pride of life? By living a life of humility. Now, we've looked at a lot of things not to do from this woman's story today. And if we look at our last verse in 1 John today, 1 John two seventeen, it says this, It says, the world and its desires are passing away. In other words, this way of living, again, that system that is opposed to God, that way of living opposed to God, that it passes away. That the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, that eventually they no longer sustain you. That eventually we will find ourselves in a place where we keep looking for more. Where we metaphorically keep coming back to the same well. Over and over and over again. And From our story today, we see that that is exactly where we found the Samaritan woman, living a life where she had exhausted the options of the world, where she had tried the lust of the flesh, and she had tried the lust of the eyes. She tried the pride of life, but each and every one left her empty every single time. If you're here today and you're like, man, Nat, Honestly, her story, it sounds a lot like my story. Like the pride of life doesn't fulfill. The lust of the eyes doesn't fulfill. The lust of the flesh doesn't fulfill. None of them. I know they're in my life and I feel empty. If that's you, I want to leave you with some encouraging news today. Because while I read you a good chunk of her story, my friends, that is not where it ends. In fact, let me show you where it ends. Here in John 4, verse 20, 25, it says, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. In other words, she finds herself in a place where she says, I know I need something more, and I know it's supposed to be coming. And then in verse 26, Jesus says this He says, I am the Messiah. I am what you're looking for. I am what you're looking for. And then in verse 28, it says that she left her water jar by the well, ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I did. In other words, come see the man who knew that I had five husbands and the man I was living with now wasn't my husband. Come see the man who knew all I was trying to do was just get more and more and more. Come see the man who knew that I struggled with a life of inferiority. Come see the man who knew my story, knew every bad thing, but yet still loves me. My friend, he'll do the same for you. That if you're here today, you can meet Jesus right where you're at. No matter what your story is, no matter what you've done, no matter what you struggle with, he knows and he's the man looking at you, still offering the gift of God, the personal relationship. And we wanna give you an opportunity to receive that today. So I'm gonna ask you to bow your head close your eyes. I want you to ask yourself, what does my response need to be to this message today? What God, what are you calling me to do? For you, maybe it's small groups. Maybe you know, man, I need to stop living life alone and get in a small group. Maybe you know it's time for you to start serving on the dream team and get plugged in. For you, you're like, I need to start being generous with my life. Maybe generous with my finances or generous with my time and my energy. For you, maybe you know that, man, I I realize that pride has a a foothold in my life and I don't want it to, and I just need to repent and change my direction in this way of living. Maybe for you, you're here today and you realize that you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And if that's you, and you're here and you wanna say yes to Jesus and receive his love, then I wanna lead you in a simple prayer. And if you wanna be included in that prayer today, you wanna give him your life, and start or restart a relationship with him. I want you to, without hesitation, raise your hand on the count of three as a step of faith. One, two, three. I got you. I got you. I got you. Yeah, I got you. Proud of you. Anyone else? I got you. Why don't you pray this with me in your heart and say, Jesus, I need you. I'm sorry I've lived my life without you. Come live inside me. Change me. Make me brand new. I surrender my whole life to you. I choose to follow you. I give you everything. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen, amen. Church, why don't you celebrate with me? There's some people who just made the best decision of their life. Yeah, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has changed your perspective on God or life, feel free to email your story to info at queencitypeople.com. We'd love to celebrate the change happening in your life. We'd also love to pray for you. If you have any prayer requests, big or small, head over to queencitypeople.com slash prayer and fill out the form with as much detail as you'd like. For more information about Queen City Church's service times, location, or events, visit queencitypeople.com or follow us on social media platforms at Queen City People.